Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. Well, we have a very special guest speaker today, and I uh, just want to introduce them. Um, they are our good friends, uh, Winfred and Lydia from Germany. So they came all the way from Germany today to speak to you. No, I'm just kidding about that part. But they came all the way from Casa Grande, which is almost as far as Germany. It's just, just a little, little shorter. Maricopa. Maricopa. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're blessed to have them this morning. Winfred is going to come and, and share a word with us. Um, I read your book. You gave it to me a couple years ago, and it was one of the few books where I couldn't put down. I just read right through the whole thing. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to have him just share with you this morning. And uh, we became good friends with them over the last three years. We're in the Bethel Leadership Network together. So let's give an awesome Awaken Life Church welcome to Winfrey this morning as he comes. Good morning. So I hope it's okay if I down, stay down here. You know, because I haven't brought my parachute with me, so. <laughs> and you never know what happens, yeah. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, remember a couple of years ago, uh, Ludie and I we were here and we did that uh, life language seminar with you guys and uh, we got to know some of you a little closer, which was awesome. So this morning, um, I, was, I was trying to think about what to share because there's a lot to say. And we preachers, you know, we, ho, ho, we, <laughs> so, but I, I, I was so grateful for the songs you guys chose because that set me on the right path, I believe, right? So that was really, really good. Some of my favorite songs. And I want to, I want to start this morning with, um, <laughs> well, let me put it this way. It's our passion to help people to find the destinies. That's, a lot of people are asking us, well, what, what are you guys doing? What's your ministry like? Because we are not pastoring anymore. And uh, it's, it's not easy to explain exactly what we are doing. And uh, so it's our passion to help people to find the destinies. Because there's a huge problem uh, in the kingdom of God and within Christianity that a lot of people, we go to church, you know, we love Jesus. We are pretty certain we go to heaven one day, and we hope that Jesus will return soon, you know, get us out of all the misery. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and we try to be good people in between until he finally comes or we die and go to heaven, you know, it's either one. So, and life gets busy, as you know. Life can get really, really busy. And you do what you need to do, and, and, and the years are flying by. And sometimes, you know, in the morning, I, I get up and I look in the mirror in my bathroom and say, oh my gosh, who is that? <laughs> it's, it's shocking sometimes. I mean, years are flying by so fast. And then the big question comes, at least for me, have I done what I'm supposed to do? And am I doing right now what I'm supposed to do? Am I really... In the will of God, am I, am I really in the plan of my Father in heaven for my life? And you know, one, one of the, the, the greatest problems I believe we have, especially in the Western world, is we like it comfortable. We like it comfortable. Oh boy, you know, every, everything has to be quick and as comfortable as possible. And as soon as it's not getting comfortable, you know, we learned that through the pandemic. Ooh, the real, the real you is going to show up. <laughs> and that's a little bit what I want to talk about this morning because uh, we, we went through some stuff in our lives which wasn't very comfortable, <laughs> as all of us. But the big question really is, what's happening next? What's happening next with you and with me? And I want to read to you Psalms 139. It's my, my, my favorite psalm. 
And um, I read from verse 13 to 16 out of the Passion Translation here. It says, You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, <laughs> and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You've even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be, uh, uh, sorry, you saw who you created me to be before I became me, before I'd ever seen the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. This is so deep. I mean, you know, we could talk about this the rest of the week. <laughs> it's so deep. But there's something where it says the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. For a long time I thought, well, the number of days is the number of days I will live according to God's plans. It looked, took me a little while to understand that's not really what it is. It is what he has planned for each day of my life. And there's a little more to it. And interestingly, when we make the jump to Revelation 20, verse 12, we find the answer here. And uh, now this is uh, a look into the future. It says, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Two times in this verse, books are mentioned. One plural, one singular. So there's, there, there, there more, there's more than one book. We focus on the book of life, and we know our name is written in the book of life. This book is the most important book. There's absolutely no doubt. But it says books have been opened. And the dead were judged according what was written in those books. As I understand it, there's the book of life. It's important that our names is in the book of life. But there's the book God has written for us before the foundation of the world. It's his story about us. That's what we're reading in Psalms 139. He wrote everything in his book. And he knew, oh, there's Phil. And he will be born in 1956. And he will look like this and look like that. And his character will be like this. And I give him a calling already because he will be perfect for this kind of a job. He will be perfect. Everything will come together in his personality. And nobody, nobody in the rest of the world can handle this better than he does. And there's Jane. And, and, and God goes on through all of his, his history. And those big thoughts about us. And I think that's really powerful. And now we are here. We are born according to God's will. We are here and we live our life. And with every day we live, we write our book. You're writing a book with your life every day. And I believe one day when those books will be opened... There will be God's book about your life. And there will be your book opened, what you lived. And it says, we will be judged according what is written in this book. And God will look page by page. Is it in sync? And this judgment, we know, we don't have to be afraid to go to hell. This judgment is all about how our future and eternity going to look like. And you know, 
I think this is fascinating. We, we, we have a strong focus on the love of God. We have a strong focus on his grace, which is all good. I love it so much. But there's a responsibility we have every day to make sure we do what we are called to do. And that's why it's our passion to help people to understand who they are. And there are those two terms we usually like to use Everybody wants to know, what is my calling? Well, the best thing is, go to your pastors and ask them, what's my calling? They will tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we need somebody in worship band. Yeah, we need somebody in the, behind the soundboard. We, we need somebody for children's work. Oh, yeah, this is your calling. I mean, you fit perfectly. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to figure out your calling. And it might be true. I'm not saying that's wrong. That might be true. But look. When we talk about our calling, it is what we are doing. But when we talk about your destiny, this is who you are. Now, to ask for your calling is okay. But it would be much better to ask, what's my destiny? Because when you understand who you are, you will automatically do what your calling is. It will flow from you because it's a part of you. You don't even have to think about it. So I believe many years we did it the wrong way around. We were always asking for our calling, which is good. But it's so much easier to understand who the heck am I and what I'm here for. That makes it really alive. For many years we had a friend who is now with the clouds of witnesses, unfortunately, or maybe good, good for him. Not so good for us, because he was a close friend, but he also was a prophet, and he was a seer. And he had the gift, really, from early on in his life, to see, to see into the second heaven. So he constantly saw what's going on with the angels and the demons. I mean, he couldn't shut it off. It was there all the time. And he had to learn to deal with that, believe me. So, but um, in the movement we, we were, and we still are for a, a number of years, he was uh, really extremely helpful for us. Whenever we wanted to know what it is, I picked up the phone and said, hey, Pat, I need some help. Tell me what you see. You know, and he told us. And most of the time, it was <laughs> totally accurate and helpful to understand what was going on. And when we met him years ago, he told us a story. Uh, according to his gift. He said, very often, when I pass by a cemetery, I see angels standing at the graves of the people. And they were, were all positioned behind the headstones. But sometimes when I pass by, at some graves, there was no angel. The majority of the people who were buried there had an angel at their graves. But just a few had no angel. And he was always wondering why. So one day he had to go to a funeral, and on the way back from the gravesite, he asked Jesus permission to speak to one of those angels. And he got it. So he went to this one angel standing at the gravesite, and he was holding a little, all of them were holding a little box in their hands. And he was asking the angel, what are you doing here? What are you waiting for? And the angel told him, we are here and I'm holding the destiny of the deceased person in my hands. And I'm waiting that somebody may pick it up and fulfill it. And then suddenly our friend realized that all those angels were there. They were all holding the unfulfilled destinies of those people who were buried there. And he looked over the cemetery, the graveyard, and were Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those angels, but only a few graves were empty. And there was no need for this angel to be there and hold the destiny. And when I heard the story the first time, it really blew me away because it showed me how important and how precious it is what God has given us. It's not only our lives, but really our destinies, the reason why we are here. It's so much more important and it goes so much deeper than we can imagine. 
And I think it's, it's the enemy's plan to keep us so busy that we have no time to think about it. Gets us busy with our jobs, with our families, and everything that's going on in life, and we just we lose it out of our sights. There's this other verse I, I like, I want to share with you, and you all know Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Right? Now let me, let me read what the Passion Translation says. I mean, <laughs> it's a little longer, but it says, We have become a pottery, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. See, this stuff is so important to God. The question is, how important is it for us? We were talking and praying and singing about breakthrough earlier, and that's great. Most of us need breakthroughs in some areas of our lives. What we sense you know, we are hitting a wall. It's not really going deeper or we cannot continue the path we believe we should be on. And we need a breakthrough. And that's great. And we, we certainly need to ask God for breakthroughs. But my question will be, are you positioned to receive a breakthrough? A lot of people want breakthroughs, but they are not willing to position themselves to receive a breakthrough. Because every time we position ourselves, I can guarantee you it will be outside of your comfort zone. Every time. But nobody wants to get out of the comfort zone. This is the price we have to pay. And this is, this is the lesson many of you have already learned, but we need to really apply it to our day-to-day -day life. When I'm too comfortable, I will probably not see the kind of breakthrough I think I need. And the breakthrough I think I need may not look like the breakthrough God thinks you need. You know, so again, it's all about, you want to be comfortable? I remember years ago, um, it's almost 40 years now, we were just newly wed and I just graduated from Bible college and uh, we left our hometown and, and, and we moved up to northern Germany to a bigger city and the, the Bible college has sent us to be there, to be assistant pastors uh, at a Pentecostal church. And um, it was kind of good-sized church. And they had three daughter churches. They had to adopt them because those three little churches fired the pastors. So they had no pastors. And we were uh, three full-timers in, in, the, in the mother church, so to say. So every Sunday morning, we had to go out to those little smaller churches and preach. And do Sunday services and the whole stuff, you know, all, everything pastors do. And there was one church... I did not like. And every time I was scheduled to go and preach there, I said, oh no, let's make it quick, in and out, you know, in and out. I, I made sure I come in the last minute and I made sure I left before the big amen because the atmosphere in the church was just horrible. There was one of the elders, a big tall guy, and he was always standing at the back door with his arms crossed, you know, with a grim look. I mean, talking about a, okay, a nasty German, I wanted to say, but, okay. And he scared me. And I was up front, and he scared me every time I had to preach. And he was not friendly, and the whole church wasn't friendly. And it was pretty legalistic and, you know, old-fashioned style. And I thought, oh, no. So I hated it. So I bribed my my colleague, and I even offered him money that he would switch with me and I could go to the other church because it was, that was so much better. I hated this place. <laughs> so fast forward, some years we, we have left this place, we, we moved somewhere else. 
and, and we felt God was leading us and, and, you know, got away from this crazy church and the legalistic side. And, 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 and yeah, okay, well, that's a story in itself. You can, if you like. Oh, by the way, talking about books, um, a lot of the stories I'm going to share are in this book here. If you, if you like it, it's, it's back there. I brought my last batch I have back home. Um, you can get this one. And um, there's a second book. I, this is our life story. This is more a little bit of teaching back into our future, which is another passion we have. It's to see the fivefold ministry established in a local church. And that's a little Bible study about that to get a better understanding. So uh, if you like, just because you, we consider you our friends, you can have both books together for 20 bucks. It's usually $14.95, and $9.95, you get it for 20 bucks if you like. It's only 14 left, however. So, um, we were way down south, and suddenly God spoke, and um, my former senior pastor called me, and he said, Winnie, listen, uh, you remember this particular church, and the eldership asked me to ask you if you... Uh, considering to come and be, become the senior pastor. And it was this church I hated so much. And when we left, I thought, you know, first of all, I never go back to northern Germany. It's cold, it's windy, it's wet. I hate it, I don't like it. Secondly, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't like this church. And, I, and certainly, I don't want to go back to this movement, right? So we got this call, and I had the senior pastor... My former boss on the, phone, uh, on the phone, and I thought, okay, this is a trick of the devil. You know, this is not good. <laughs> and being religiously nice, I just said, okay, let me, let me pray about it. You know, but my heart was crying out, no way, never, ever. <laughs> Cut a long story short, we found ourselves right in that church a year later. So we moved there in 1991. And we had a meeting with the eldership before, <clears throat> And the pastor who was there and who has left, the, 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 the leadership thought, this is the opportunity for change. And somehow they remembered us. Even so I didn't like them, they remembered me. I thought, this guy might be the right candidate to bring some change. So we moved up there. And the, the leadership wanted a change, but they didn't tell the church. All right, so... So suddenly we found ourselves in a situation where we knew we're going to have war. And the first things I did, I pushed out the organ, you know. We had a mom, mom and daughter. Mom was playing the organ and daughter was playing the piano at the same time, trying to figure out the sound out. So I pushed the organ out, you know, so they, they wanted to kill me because of that. <clears throat> we had our pulpit way nailed to the floor way in the corner, which I hated. I threw that one out and got a regular note stand. They hated me for, hated me for that. And the third thing I did, I sold our hymn books to another church. <laughs> that was really fun. So we had war for three years. The church, they wanted us to get rid of us so bad, and the leadership was trying to hold us. And... Uh, <laughs> We came to the end of our, of our strength. I thought, I, I can't do it anymore. The good thing is, we had friends down south. There was a church we, we were before. They said, you know, if something goes wrong, just come back. We help you. We help you again to find a place to live. Uh, we, we help with, with the moving costs. If something goes wrong, you know, we are here for you. That was kind of a life insurance for us. That was so good. And then suddenly, that was in, in, in early 94, I got a, I got a, call, a phone call from a, a, a good friend, a pastor in Switzerland. And he said, Winnie, you've got to go to Toronto. You've got to go to Toronto. We just came back with our whole leadership. And we heard some rumors about what's going on in Toronto, but we had no clue. So I thought, well, if, if, if our friend says we've got to go, you know, that m might, be, might be good for us, but... So we sat together as a leadership team and said, you know, sooner or later, people would come and ask us what we think about Toronto. So we, let's go and check it out. We, we send you and Winnie, we pay your airfare, you go, check it out, and let us know what this is all about. I said, all right, hey, 
free week of vacation. Yeah, let's go. So we, we went. It was totally crazy. All, book, all flights were booked out. We had to travel in two different flights. And um, we arrived there. And uh, it was still in the old building outside of the airport where the planes were, you know, taking off right over your heads. Whenever there was service was going on and the plane was taking off, the preacher had to stop for a minute because it was so noisy. Nobody could understand a word. Just to understand what was going on. And this place was about this size, holding around 400 people max. And people were lining up two, two hours before the evening meetings outside. Two hours. I have never seen like that. And I thought, what's going on there? This is, this is pretty crazy. So the first night came, and uh, they had great worship. You know, it was a vineyard church. They were always being good with, with worship. And preaching was, eh, uh, was, it was okay. But then, you know, they, they suddenly, because there was no space, they stacked all the chairs, put them aside, and started ministry time. So suddenly there was no front or back anymore. It was happening all over the place. So, you know, with my AG mind, you know, I was a little disturbed. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? And they were, they were praying for people, and they were falling and laughing and crying, and there was a lot of noise, and I thought, I don't know what's going on here, but it was a little strange. And, you know, I came with this attitude with a <clears throat> Pentecostal education, you know, and we, we Pentecostals, we know everything about the Holy Spirit. We, I mean, we actually invented the Holy Spirit. We know everything about the gifts of the Spirit, absolutely everything. So I came to check if this is a true work of the Holy Spirit, right? That was my attitude. So for the second night, the second meeting, they announced the laughing pastor. And I thought, what in the world? I mean, who's a laughing pastor? What's that? I learned quite quickly, there was this guy coming from another town, and he was standing behind the pulpit, and he was laughing all the time. So he opened his Bible. He was trying to read some scripture. He could not. He was laughing so hard. That went on for about 20 minutes. Everybody was waiting for the word of God. There was no word of God. He was just laughing his head off. I got really annoyed because... Point number one, if this is truly the Holy Spirit, you must be able to read the Word of God. Right? So, did not happen. So he closed his Bible, and they stacked the chairs and had ministry time. And I thought, I don't like that. And because there was no front or back, I decided I'm going to watch this guy. I want to see how he is ministering to people. So I followed him. I was right like 10 feet behind him, and was following him, watching him how he's ministering to people. So he went laying hands on people, and he was just laughing. All the time, just laughing. Not one single word of prayer. Not one. <laughs> laying hands on people, they were all falling under the power. And what's that? And there was this, this older couple in the, in the mid or even late 70s. A little, small, tiny lady and her husband in a wheelchair. And she pushed him around in the crowd in the wheelchair. So the laughing pastor went over to this couple and I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. I wonder if he has the decency to minister in a proper way to these older folks. <laughs> so he went over, laid his hands on those two. He was still laughing so hard. I was watching him, you know, 10 feet, feet behind him, and he laughed even harder. He laughed so hard that he, he collapsed. He was laying over the man's wheelchair with the head down to the floor and his feet up in the air. And I was looking at this and said, I've got enough. That's it. Tried to find my wife. I said, let's go. We go back to the motel. Uh, we are flying home. I saw enough. That's it. <laughs> so I was really angry. And I was convinced this stuff is not of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we went back to the motel, picked up the phone, called the, the, the uh, airline. 
everything was booked out. We were stuck for a whole week in Toronto. <laughs> a whole week. And I thought, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, let's go shopping, you know. The exchange rate was pretty good with Canadian dollars. And let's, let's have some fun and, you know. And uh, those of you who, who are married a little longer than two years, um, you probably have seen something in your wives. They have a gift or a ability, maybe it's even witchcraft, I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> but they can change our minds. Right? They, they can change us. So my wife, she just persuaded me to go back for the third night. And I even don't, until today, I don't know why I did it, but we went back to those crazy meetings. And I was, I was a grumpy German, I'm telling you. I was sitting there, I was a grumpy German. I didn't like what was going on. But then what they did, <clears throat> in between, the, they <laughs> basically it was a testimony time, testimony time, but they called it the, the interview. So they interviewed people who have experienced something the night before, brought them up to the front and asked them questions, interviewing them. And sure enough, they pulled this older couple up to the front. And I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. Now I want to hear what they have to say. So the lady, she came up to the front. She said, you know, we came all the way from, from Houston, Texas. And my, my husband and I, we have been elders in our church our whole life. We were serving there for decades. And a couple of years ago, my husband had a stroke. And ever since, he is sitting in this wheelchair, and he can hardly speak. And our, our lives and our ministry has changed completely. And we cannot do any, anymore what we love to do. And it's bothering us so much when we were asking God, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? We served you with everything what we have. Why did you allow this to happen? And they were really bothered. And then she said, but last night, when this laughing pastor came and laid his hands on us, it was like the weight of tons were lifted from our shoulders. And we started to see our own lives through the eyes of the Father. And they got healing in their souls. And I was sitting there. And when she said, I saw my life through the eyes of the Father, something happened in me. Something happened deep in me because I, want, I wanted to know so bad how my Father in Heaven would see me. Because the relationship I had with my earthly father wasn't the best. He never loved me. He never, I mean, he did love me, but he never hugged me. He never showed it to me. And there was this absence of true fatherhood in my life. And I brought it into my ministry, and I had no clue about it. I had no clue how severe and how deep it was. And when this lady said, we, we saw our lives through his eyes, that pierced my heart. And I repented that night. I said, okay, Lord, I... I still don't, I don't like what's going on here, but I want what they have. So that night when they stacked the chairs, I was the first one up running to some people to receive prayer. And they prayed for me. Nothing happened. And you need to understand, in those days, they had those meetings every night. Every single night for years and years. And they would last until sometimes 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. And when they started to pray for you, it's not like they pray for you once. Oh, no. There's one team member would come and pray for you, leave. Somebody else would come pray for you, they leave. Somebody else would come. And it goes on for hours and hours and hours. You were, you were soaked in prayer. Soaked in prayer. So I was soaked in prayer. And I was on the floor. I couldn't, you know, I, 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 fall, I fell down because I couldn't stand anymore. That was the whole reason. But it was not that I felt the Holy Spirit. I just couldn't stand anymore. And I was there for hours and hours and did not experience anything. I came, we came back the next night. I was desperate. I can't wait for those people to pray for me that finally something happens. Nothing happened. So the whole week went by. I received prayer 
for hours and hours and hours until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. We went back to the motel. Nothing happened. Nothing. And I was concerned. And that was Saturday came. And Saturday was kind of the last possibility for me because on Sundays they have their own church service. They, they don't focus on the guests. And on Monday we would fly home. So Sunday was the, uh, Saturday was the last chance for me to experience something. So I came back and I, I, I ran. I hounded those ministry team people down. I took their hands, put it on my head and they do something. <laughs> Just do something. I will not leave here. And the whole night until 2.30, 2, 2 3 o'clock in the morning, I received prayer. Nothing happened. And I thought, maybe, maybe this is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Maybe I'm out of the game right now. I was really concerned. So really frustrated and totally <laughs> tired and exhausted, we went back to the motel. And I just lay down. I said, okay, I blew it. I'm done. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm, I'm totally done. And I lay down. I was about to fall asleep. Just about to fall asleep. And suddenly it came. Suddenly it came. It was like all those prayers were stored up in the bucket, you know, and suddenly. <laughs> and God's, God's love came like a tsunami wave over me. It hit me so hard I fell out of the bed. I was crying and screaming like a little baby. I was waking up the whole hotel, you know, I didn't care. It was like, whoa, it, it went, went on until the sun came up. And it was so powerful. And still today, I have no words for it, what really happened. And then this was the, we went back for the Sunday morning service. I tried to take a shower, which is if you are under the influence. <laughs> a real challenge. Even, even worse, you know, I felt sorry for those guys at church who have to clean the bathrooms, especially the man bathrooms. I was shaking. I could barely stand on my feet. We made friends with a couple of their ministry team, and Tom was his name. He was there early, and we came a little early as well, and he was... Lining up the chairs. He was busy, you know, get, getting the chairs back in place. And he was like away like the wall back there. And we just came in and he looked at me. He looked right into my eyes. And I don't know what happened. It, it, it hit me like a bomb went off. A, a supernatural power hit me and I was flying backwards. A high stack chairs that high. I was flying, landing behind them. And it was there for the whole rest of the service. Don't ask me what happened. I, I, I still have no clue. It was great. <laughs> but uh, don't ask me. So we went home. And we thought, what in the world are we going to tell the church? <laughs> now, Lydia, she had her own experience, which was a little different. But we both had a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. So I thought, man, they're waiting for a report. They're waiting that I tell them what's going on in Toronto. And we ha I don't have words for it. So we agreed and we said, okay, we will try to explain what's happening in that church, but we will not say a word about what we have experienced. So, and then I thought, I, I go home and I thought, I'm going to be a smart pastor. I will not share on a Sunday morning. I do an informal information night on Saturday evening. And you need to understand, Saturday evening in the summer, that's soccer night. None of the men would come out. Only a few women, maybe. I was hoping for that. Oh, man. The whole church came. The whole church came. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And I thought, okay. And John Honored, John Honored, Senior pastor, he was warning us. He says, it's contagious. It's contagious. He said, oh, yeah, it's contagious. I will not touch anybody. I will not even <laughs> pray. It's contagious. I don't know what to do with that. So I, for about 10 minutes, I tried to explain what's happening in Toronto. And suddenly I heard this rattling, a rattling all over. Because chairs started to rattle with the people on top of them. And within 
10 minutes later, everybody was on the floor. Remember, this was the church and the people we had war with. They wanted to kick me out. And now they got under the power of the Holy Spirit. They were laughing and crying and it was going, everything went nuts. And I didn't pray one prayer. I didn't even touch people. It went nuts. And from July 94 to Christmas 94, we had no control over the church anymore. Absolutely no control. Doesn't matter what kind of meeting we had, people just got, they drove in the parking lot and they hardly got out of their cars. They were crawling into the sanctuary. It was totally insane. I was trying to preach. Nobody was listening. <laughs> That's the worst thing for a pastor. You try to preach and nobody is listening. And then we had, of course, the, the word has spread. And people came from all over to have a look what's going on in this crazy place. And I, I grabbed the mic and I tried to explain to our guests what's going on. And even that was not very successful. You know, I, I, I tried to get some pastoral order into the mess. And I remember one, one night, because we, we, we had three nights, renewal nights now. Not only Sunday morning, we had... Monday and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And I think we did another Friday night. And, you know, we just couldn't get enough. And one night, I, again, I grabbed the mic to explain to our guests what's happening here. And, again, nobody was listening. And then Jesus said to me, okay, you have the choice. You can still try to lead the whole thing here. Or you put the mic away and I touch you again. How's that? And from that day on, I had my place behind the piano. Not that I'm playing the piano, but I had some peace and rest behind there. That was the whole reason. And they had to carry me out on countless times. And our church was located in a, in a living area, in a neighborhood. It's not like here, industrial area. No, we had people, private homes close by. And we've been a really noisy bunch. And I was so afraid they would call the police. Especially on Sundays, because this is Germany. On Sundays, you're not supposed to make any noise on Sundays. You're not even allowed to, lawn you, to mow your lawn. You know, take a rest. Not in our church anymore. And then from 95, we, we started to do conferences. And you need to understand, we just had a little, a little church. It was not very big. We could see the maximum of 120 people in there. And we had those conferences, and we, we rented other places, and, 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 and it was going on and on for seven years. And we became a renewal center for the whole northeast of, of Germany. And that wasn't planned. It just happened. And we had all those apostolic people and prophetic people coming as guest speakers, and they all said, wow, this place is like an oasis. It's like where people come and they are exhausted, they are tired, and they come, they get refreshed, and then they move on. And we said, well, in one after another, you know, they all prophesied it over us and said, okay. So we changed the name of the church into Oasis Christian Center. And that went on for a little while. And then God spoke and he said, okay, now people came to you. I want you to take people and go to the places I'm going to show you. That was in 99. And sure enough, God started to open doors. And uh, we went. And I took some people from our church with us. And the same happened in Africa, in India, in, in, in Eastern Europe. Doesn't matter where we went. The same stuff happened wherever we, we went. And something happened. Even in times of, of not only the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but we, we saw incredible miracles. We saw money multiplying supernaturally in people's pockets. Money was falling out of their Bibles. It was totally insane. I mean, you know, it was, it was a glorious time. But at the same time, I started to step into the deepest crisis of my personal life as well. And you think, how is it possible? You're right in the middle of renewal or revival, however you want to call it, and you step into a crisis? Yes. 
because I started to see while pastoring this church that I'm not a pastor. I, I was starting to see that I'm not, this is not my destiny. And it was painful because everybody was expecting, well, you're the pastor, you're the ordained guy, you're leading this church. And they were expecting things for me which were getting more and more difficult for me to give to them. And when we started to travel, I suddenly saw, wow, that, that's fun. You know, you go to a place, you drop some bombs, and you leave again. That's me. <laughs> awesome. I like that one. But I, I, I felt there was something going on deep inside of me, a change. And I had to come to a place to be uncomfortable again, to understand that now it's time for the next lesson of the Holy Spirit. And I remember one of those trips, we, we started to go to Ukraine, the same Ukraine where the war is taking place today. And we were in a bigger city, and uh, there was a, a church, uh, and I was there several times. And uh, they really had revival. Not in our sense, but it was totally insane what was happening there. The, the, the pastor Gregor and his wife Galina, they got kicked out from their own church because they were too modern uh, she went to the hairdresser, had her hair cut, and was wearing pants. The church where they belonged to was just at the no-go, kicked them out. So they started with meetings in their, in their home. Pretty sure so many people came that they had to split the meetings. So husband has one meeting in one home, and his wife had a meeting in another home. And they were both were growing like crazy. So it happened they both had a church. Both of them were pastoring their own churches. Now, Gregory already had about 600 people, while his wife had 400 people. They started a whole Bible school. So when we came there and we saw the first time, it was just unbelievable. And they were sending people out. And uh, usually, when, when, when we came, I was teaching at, a Bible, at the Bible school, and the rest of the team would go out and evangelize and help the people to plan new churches, which almost happened daily. And uh, one time, I, I was there for their graduation, just to you get an idea what's going on there. And they had about 25 people lining up on the stage for the graduation, and they all came with a little suitcase. And they were all lining up, and everybody had a suitcase right next to him. And, uh, and they asked me to, to pray for them and bless them, and I saw that the senior pastor, he went to each one and he gave them some, some money, some bills. And I, I didn't understand what was going on. First of all, why do they have a suitcase? And secondly, why are they getting money now? What's happening? So I tried to find my, my translator and ask him what's going on. And after the blessing, they will all take the suitcases and leave. They'll leave the meeting even. And I, I asked, what's going on? He said, well... You know, they are sent out now by us. Pastor gave each one a different amount of money. They walk to the train station and they buy tickets as far they can go with the amount of money they go. They get off the train and they know this is where they're supposed to start a new church. <laughs> that simple. And they did. They did. This one church became a movement with over 1,200 churches in this one nation. So it's so bad what's happening right now in Ukraine, but I'm telling you, those Christians, they're strong. They're strong. They, they can beat this stuff. And God has prepared them for this time because the gospel is growing even more now in this time. However, there was this one meeting, and we were there a whole week, and I was teaching in the Bible school, and there was this last Sunday. And at, right after the service, we, again, we had to go to the train station, go to Kiev, and get our flight back home. So we were a little bit under time pressure. So, and the pastor asked me uh, that I should preach on the, this Sunday morning. And from the place I stayed, I had to walk for about 20 minutes up to the church. And I was a little concerned. I, hadn't, I was so empty I had no clue what to preach. But I woke up this morning with a thought. I woke up with something I have read years ago, and that troubled me. 
and I was reading the history of Smith Wigglesworth. And you probably know it, but there's this one story where uh, Smith Wigglesworth, you know, in his healing ministry, there was this, this couple coming to him, and the man had uh, a stomach tumor, and they came up for prayer. And Wigglesworth, he, he boxed the guy into the stomach. He collapsed in pain. His wife, totally upset, called the police. And Wigglesworth was spending the night in, in prison. And the next morning, suddenly, he was released because his wife uh, went and because they brought him into the hospital. And the next morning, he was totally healed. There was no tumor, nothing. So he was released from, from, from prison. And uh, I woke up of the story. And walking to church, I had a bad feeling. A really bad feeling because, yes, we, we pray for the sick, you know. We, we prophesy, we do all the stuff. But, you know, there's still a certain boundary. You know, there's, you know, everything decently and in order, right? So I was walking up, came to the church. We had breakfast there as a team. And the pastor just rushed by and said, hey, one thing before you guys leave, you've got to pray for the sick today. You've got to pray for the sick. I said, yeah, okay, sure. And then during worship time, um, he leaned over to me and said, make sure you pray for the sick today. I said, no, no, no. I asked him, well, what's the major problem people, problem people have here? And he said, well, most of them have stomach and breathing problems. I said, oh, no. Oh, no. And it just dawned on me. I, I somehow knew what God wanted me to do. And uh, I thought, Lord, help me. I mean, let me just pray for the people, okay? Let me, let me not do the, the punching stuff, the boxing stuff. <laughs> Please, this is not good. So I was so troubled when my time came. I went up on the stage. And you know, you see, there were about 800 people in that meeting. And uh, I had my team with me. And I, I, I told them before, I said, okay, what, whatever happens, I'm going to pray especially for certain people. You will know you take the rest, okay? You, you pray for the rest and, and, you know, leave me alone. I, I, you know, it might be a little different tonight. So I went up, and I was quite honest, and I told the whole church with what thought I, I woke up. And I, I said, okay, um, I hope you trust me. I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm asking all people with stomach problems or digestive problems, you, you line up over here, and everybody else with other sicknesses, you line up over there, and, and the team is going to minister to you, and I will minister to you here. And I was shocked that three-quarters of the people came to my side of those 800 people, three-quarters. And most of them were women. And I thought, okay, Lord, let's get practical now. How do you hit a woman? I was, I was scared. I was so, and, and, and how hard are you gonna, supposed to do that? You know, I mean, you don't do that in church, but I felt I had to do it. I said, oh my gosh. So I went down from stage. They all lined up. I made them, you know, Toronto style. They all lined up, you know, perfectly. And I said, oh, Lord, forgive me. First, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. They all collapsed. And I didn't know if they fell down because of the pain of the Holy Spirit. I had no clue. So for the next 90 minutes, I was hitting people. Boxing people. And I felt horrible i felt horrible and time went by and i looked at the watch and said, oh no we have to catch the train and and suddenly you know somebody said you've got to go you've got to go you've got to go and we were running out of the service fleeing running to the to the train station to catch our train we couldn't even say goodbye and i just looked around and hundreds of people were on the floor holding the stomachs so like what have you done what have you done I went home, and my team, they just looked at me, like deer in the headlight. I said, don't ask. 
you know, it was a six-hour train ride. I said, don't ask. No conversation about this service. Don't know. I felt so bad. So we came home. I told my wife she wasn't on the trip. And she did, you did what? <laughs> so a few, weeks, a few days later, I emailed the pastor and, and, and I asked him, hey, Pastor Gregory, how are you doing? Hey, uh, by the way, how did the service went after we have left? Uh, have you had some testimonies of healings? No reply. Nothing. I said, oh, no, this is not good. A week later, I emailed again, no reply. For months, no reply. So we invited him. We had a church retreat, and we invited him and his wife to come over to speak at our church retreat. It was the first time for them in, in, in the Western world. Grew up in Eastern Europe, have never been out. Growing up under communism, had no clue first time. We wanted to bless them and really treat them well. So I thought they probably they probably they cancel. They will not come because you know this fool is killing our people here. And um, so didn't hear anything else. He came. I went to the airport to pick him up. I was hello, hey, you know, got in my car, and I was bursting out. I couldn't wait. Tell me about this service. This was eight months later. Eight months later, sleep eight months of sleepless nights, feeling guilty, feeling horrible, eight months. And I asked him, what, how many people have been healed? And he looked at me like I'm insane. He said, why do you ask? He said, well, you know, you know what happened? It was horrible. He said, as far as I know, everybody got healed. And he said, why are you asking? You're the man of God. Of course everybody was healed. I mean, you know, what do you expect? So I thought, oh, Lord, please. Okay, just saying, this was the one and only time I did it. Okay, this is not part of my ministry, boxing people. I'm just, just be at peace. But I learned something. To come to this extremely point of being uncomfortable. To step into another area of your life, of your ministry, of your destiny. And you need to understand... Healing is great, but the healing ministry is not really our destiny. It's not really our calling. We do it, yes. But our heart is a whole package. Our heart is the whole package. Try to imagine millions and millions of people stepping outside of their church walls as people who know who they are and understand the anointing of their lives, and they go wherever they go, at their workplace, in their families, doesn't matter where they go, and they carry this with them, knowing their destinies. This is what we need, because this is how the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. We need that. And we still have some ways to go, I believe. But I'm just telling you those stories, and there's much more in this book, by the way. Uh, I'm just telling you this, not because of us. When you feel you're stuck, it's not always the devil. You know, he's bad, but it's not, it's not always his fault. Sometimes we get stuck because of us, in our understanding and our way of thinking. And God wants to push us out to be birthed into something new. Not only for the mommies is uncomfortable, even also for the babies. Ask them later if they can remember. Oh, no, I don't want to go. It's cold and bright out there. You're a great bunch of people. I always, I always like when we come here, I like your worship. I, I like the atmosphere here. But during worship, I had this picture of, um, of tires. And I thought, tires? What's going on here? I'm not selling tires. Um, and suddenly, I saw different tires. And I saw tires on cars with a low air pressure. And I saw, I saw tires on cars 
with a pretty low tire tread. They need to be changed. Because now, if you, if you drive it and it rains or whatever, it can be really slippery. And I believe there are people in this room here right now. It's not good enough that you get more air pressure into your tires. This is something you can do. We all have got to see what is it we need to do and what is it God needs to do. There are certain things only he can do, but there are certain things it's our responsibility and we need to do it. So you can correct the tire pressure, but you cannot put a new tread on the tires. All right, so I believe there are two groups of people here. Some of you, we have the saying, we have the saying, where the rubber meets the road. Some of you have lost a lot of rubber over the last years. And your thread, your thread has become really thin. And it's not good enough just to put more air pressure into it, that you're rolling smoother. You need a new set of tires. You need a new set of tires. And that is something only God can do. Only he can give you a new set of tires. It's not changing your vehicle. It's not changing your car. You need a new set of tires because you lost a lot of rubber on the road. And some of you will get brand new tires for off-road driving. Because you will, you will go into areas where there's no, no road. And you need that. Because God is calling you to pioneer something, to go to places nobody has ever gone before. There are other people, they get a new set of tires, and they're racing tires. Slicks. Licks. And they need to be heated up. Race cars. They drive a few rounds to heat up the tires, to heat up the wheels. So that they have the right grip when they start to race. But they can only drive on those roads with what somebody else have built before you. But it's the time now to drive high speed. Driving up this morning on the 17, speed limit 55. That's a choke. Nobody is driving 55. I was doing 75 and people were so passing me. Vroom, vroom, vroom. You know, that's a choke. But that's, that's the situation. The enemy is trying to slow us down. But God wants to speed things up. Because of, at the end of the day, we only have a certain amount of number, certain amount of days in our lives. Let's go back to the book and the book God has written over our lives. And some people need to speed up and some people need to go places they have never been before. So that's what we want to do. If that's, if that's okay, if you feel you have lost a lot of rubber on the road, I invite you to come to the front and we just want to quickly pray for you and bless you and release what God wants to do. And it doesn't matter if you need off-road tires or high-speed tires. God knows and you know. Nobody else needs to know. But I believe something is happening this morning. So if you want to come, come up right now. We want to take some time um, and pray for you guys. So Lydia, she has, she also has received a word, I believe, for the whole church. Yeah, when we came here this morning. <clears throat> We had a few minutes and we're in prayer with you guys. And I heard the Lord saying, I want to 
give out gifts this morning. And um, so it's, <laughs> it's with gifts. Sometimes we, we are happy. Yeah, yay, I get this gift. Sometimes it's, oh, I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then during um, sermon this morning, I, I saw this picture that when I was a, a little kid, we had this in a, in a, in a it was also in a church celebration thing. There was this man having this huge mantle, and on this mantle um, was picked with candies all over. And then it was this time he was running away, and we kids, we were running behind him to grab a candy. And whenever we had a candy, it was like, <gasps> we had one. But there's more. was more candies on the on this coat, yeah. <laughs> so we were running behind him until the last candy was gone. And it was this picture with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes we can run after him to get one of these gifts. And I was looking it up, and that's different kind of gifts, but all of one spirit. And it's um, there's given like message of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguish between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. So, and I'm, during this morning, I saw the Holy Spirit here in this place and handing it out. And some got it, and some are really, you, you can, chasing after it. So. Yes, chase him. As I was chasing, chasing him, chase him. Holy Spirit, come right now. Come right now. Fill, fill, fill. Give every single one here what they need. You know it. We trust you that you're doing your work right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Fill, fill, fill. Thank you, Jesus.